1: from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the mash, he did the monster mash, the monster mash, it was a graveyard smash, he did the mash, he caught on in a flag, he did the mash, he did the monster mash, to my love notary in the castle east, to the master bedroom where the vampires The all came from their humble to catch a jolt from my
0: And welcome to Halloween Month here in the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next, ooh, let me see how many hours, next four hours, I'm going to be your host and your guide as together we can cross this time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction, and fiction, well, as you well know, is stranger than reality, and the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 4 p.m. from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and other fine broadcast affiliates right around the world. If you'd like to send me an email, Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com on all social media sites, exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Zone Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. All right. I, for one, have no idea how Halloween is going to be done this year. You know, we've got uh, surges in COVID numbers here in the province of Ontario. Quebec is higher than we are. Uh, What they're saying now, and this is just according to uh, Premier Ford and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, who both had press conferences today, they want you to stay within your own social bubble. That means Laura and I, all right, guys, Laura and I, uh, here we are. We've been stuck together for, well, since the beginning of COVID. Well, we, we can't go out anymore. We can't go to a restaurant. We can't have anybody in. Because of the surging numbers, we have to stay within our own little bubble, which is her and I and our three little fur babies. You've heard about cabin fever? Let me tell you, if you ever thought it was a myth, it is real. Anyway, Halloween is coming up. We're going to be celebrating Halloween virtually and digitally here in the X Zone for the entire month. And we're bringing you some of the leading people in the world of the paranormal and parapsychology. And uh, to start us off tonight on our month long journey into ghost hauntings, things that go bump in the night, witches and mother in laws, is my friend, Dr. Jim Huran. And he's a 20 year veteran uh, in uh, psychology and a published expert on parapsychology. And Jim, always great talking to you. Welcome back and happy Halloween.
2: Happy Halloween, although I must say, I live this stuff every day, so it's nice to actually have people now interested, but me and my group of uh, research buddies, we're looking into ghosts every day of the year.
0: Tell me, Jim, do you find that more and more people are interested in what you do and uh, the great work that you know so many um, paranormal and uh, parapsychology groups around the world are doing today?
2: No, they are, and obviously... Paranormal groups the amateur ghost hunters they get a lot of attention this Mm -hmm. time of year and also Just during the regular course of the year and TV programs, but that's not exactly what real parapsychologists do Oh, Uh, we're interested in conducting studies testing hypotheses and so to do science correctly takes time But you know once you start publishing on these things in the scientific community I learned that it's not just the lay public that's interested a lot of my scientific colleagues are actually hungry for this stuff. Um, they're they're looking for reliable, mm-hmm. credible information on what science has to say on things that go bump in the night.
0: Jim, how did you get started in your in your interest in in parapsychology and things that go bump in the night?
2: Yeah. Uh, I guess it's it's always uh, fashionable to blame your mother or parents, I guess, in psychology for things that happen to you later. Yeah, in why my not? Case, I it's do. True. Yeah. Sure. My parents, when I was seven years old gave me a book called The Golden Book of the Mysterious. And it was a book I still have to this day. Mm -hmm. It was full of different pictures and images about the Loch Ness Monster, ESP, reincarnation, Bigfoot, UFOs. But out of all the pictures, the one that caught my attention the most was a very simple illustration, not a Mm -hmm. photograph, but just an artist's rendition of a graveyard. And among the headstones there was this lonely apparition. And for some reason, I just became enamored with that image, and I always wanted to know, was that true? Does that happen? And um, I guess I haven't shook that, that urge yet.
0: So tell me, you yourself, have you encountered anything that you as a psychologist and, and an expert parapsychologist would be able to say unequivocally was a ghost or is a ghost?
2: Uh, that's not an easy question to answer. I can oh. say I've had experiences that I couldn't mm-hmm. explain. Okay. But I don't take the leap, therefore, to say that it must have been paranormal. I just leave it to say it's unexplained. Um, some people get frustrated that I won't call certain things the paranormal. I see it as humility. Right. I just don't know. And I'm willing to say I don't know. And I think that separates scientists from both debunkers as well as the true believers. And it's interesting when you look at true believers and debunkers, they share a common psychological trait, and that is they're both very dogmatic. They both claim to have absolute knowledge about things that we just don't know. So I'm open-minded to the idea, uh, and I certainly have unexplained experiences over the years. I've talked to many sincere people who also have, but I don't know what a ghost is, objectively speaking. I know what people report as experiences, and there's very interesting psychological uh, information that ties to reports, as well as information from the physical sciences, but I have never accounted anything yet. Never encountered something that I would say unequivocally was definitely a ghost.
0: Jim, is there a set psychological profile for those people who claim to see ghosts?
2: You know there is. In fact, I've I've put together a little I call it the Ghost Gang. It's a global Ghost Gang. It's five PhDs from around the world. Two of them happen to be in the United States, me and uh, Brian Lathy, who happened to be on the program last time. Yes, yeah, that's right. You. Yeah. And three from the UK. And we come from different points of the belief spectrum. Some of us are a little bit more skeptical than mm-hmm. others. But we all come from a different psychological standpoint. I come from the world of tests and measurements, other people from social psychology, and some people from the clinical world. And we kind of built this SWAT team uh, to look at the the reality of ghosts. And we've been dedicated to a series of studies over the past three years. And no one's done this in this way. And we publish every time we conduct a study. And I don't mean just publish on the internet. I mean, we publish peer-reviewed scientific journal articles. And we have 20 now under our belt. Um, And one of the studies had to look at just what I call the phenomenology. who mm-hmm. has these experiences? What are they reporting? Right. And why does it matter? And there's actually four really interesting patterns. And I don't know if anyone's ever really talked about these this way before. But what I'm going to tell you is not opinion, it's, it's fact. reliable patterns, right. that we've seen from experiment to experiment. Um, first, there is a particular kind of person, these experiences don't happen to just anybody they're not random. Rather, they tend to happen to people that um, have what I call a hypersensitivity to bodily and environmental fluctuations. They're really in tune to what's happening in their own physiology, and they're really concerned with what's going on in the physical environment. And when if there's even low level of fluctuations, they notice it and they give a lot of credence to it. Um, Even if they don't know what it was, they'll Mm -hmm. still give a lot of credence to it. So these people seem to be like sensors, hypersensitive sensors to their worlds, physiologically, psychologically. And they also tend to be people that attribute paranormal labels or supernatural agencies or forces to explain ambiguous information in the environment. So if something happens, oh, what was that sound? Why did that door suddenly move? Right. Uh, it suddenly got colder in here. Mm-hmm. Why? If things happen that are ambiguous, there's no immediate clear explanation. Their first go-to explanation, just to make sense of it, just to get a sense of control, is the paranormal. So those two things seem to be pretty reliable patterns.
0: So would, would we be able to say that these people actually um, jump the gun and they they really don't take the time to sit back and analyze what has just happened to them. It's paranormal.
2: It is, but they do analyze, but they, they analyze things in an emotional way, not not an analytical, cognitive way. Um, So it's not like a doctor trying to rule out explanations for why you have a headache. Mm -hmm. Okay. So these are people that are making, yes, quick based judgments, but sometimes they're not so quick, but they always seem to be based in emotion. Uh, we notice that these experiences tend to happen around conditions that we call dis-ease, not disease, but dis-ease. And it's when a person in their environment is suddenly having a disruption. The normal state of them being at ease is disrupted. That can be from a positive thing or a negative thing, but there's always this shift in their attention, their perception, that then leads to an attribution of the paranormal.
0: What about these t v shows where they have the different ghost hunters that go out with a shaky night shot vision and you know the 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 atmosphere of the television program itself, in my opinion, is causing any resemblance of what a person might perceive to be a paranormal- uh, you know a paranormal event Is this mind over matter <laughs>
2: Uh, Yes, but not in the way that a parapsychologist might mean it. We're not talking like an Uri Geller effect here, but mind over matter in the sense that psychology can then cause things to happen physiologically. Yes, absolutely. In fact, it's not even an opinion. It's more like a physics demonstration, but you get together a group of people that have uh, a couple of characteristics. They already believe in the paranormal, okay? And these are people that also expect to have a paranormal experience. So in other words, they already have a worldview to help them contextualize information that they might encounter. And they also are primed. They're already ready for an immersive experience. You put people like that into an environment that has ambiguous stimuli, a graveyard at night, a creaky old house, Mm -hmm. or just even paranormal tourism, taking people in, in locations that they're not familiar with. Right. And they will have experiences that they can't explain, but they'll attribute to a ghost.
0: You know, uh, we've got about two minutes left, Jim, before I have to go for my first break. Years ago, I was a guest of the ghost tours of, uh, let me see, Fort George. And uh, Kyle Upton, uh, a great guy, a great actor, great historian, was the tour leader. And he was telling people that this is here, that is there. And, oh, listen, you can hear the violin playing. Oh, and people have seen soldiers over there. And, you know, uh, and people were see- seeing things and hearing things that I wasn't. And then after the tour, I said to Kyle, Kyle, how can, you, how can you say that when the fort that is here now wasn't here during the War of 1812? It was 500 feet away. And he said, oh, so you did your homework. Yeah.
2: <laughs> You spoiled the theater of it all there, Rob. But, it, but isn't fact stranger than fiction? Sometimes it is.
0: All right, Jim, uh, please stand by. You and I have to uh, take our first break. By the way, Jim, what's the best website for our listeners to find out more about you and the great work you do?
2: Well, I myself um, don't have a direct website, but I do a lot of work with the ISRE Group. It's an institute for religious and anomalous experiences, mm-hmm. and it's Net.
0: Uh, I-S-R-A-Y?
2: I-S-R-A-E?
0: Oh, .net.
2: Isranet.org.
0: Isranet.org. All right, Jim, we're going to get that out to the masses for you, because I think what you do and your other uh, associates do is something great and it needs to get more attention. And hopefully we'll be able to do that for you, my friend. Please stand by. And ExoNation, Jim Huran is our special guest this hour. And if you'd like to find out more about Jim and the work that he does... Once again, it's www.israenet.org. Jim and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the exome from our broadcast center studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Oh, by the way, in case you haven't guessed it, this is Halloween Month. Don't go away. And welcome back to The X-One, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. And apparently this is the most haunted area of Canada, especially because we are on the border with our good friends in the United States. And this is where the, where the War of 1812 to, had major battles, everything from Sir uh, Isaac Brock to, uh, let me see, Laura Secord. It was It is just filled with history and there are many great uh, ghost tour organizations throughout Niagara. If you're going to come and visit us after the COVID. We don't want you down here until the COVID is over. Um, just check online. Plenty to do, plenty to see and uh, we will welcome you with open arms and hopefully no masks. but once again, please follow the rules and regulations that set forth by government and health officials. Social distancing. Six feet, and always in the province of Ontario, it is the law. You have to wear a mask in public areas. Jim Horan is our guest. Uh, his website, or the website that he'd like our listeners to go to, is israenet.org. Israenet.org. And uh, Jim, um, you know, we were talking about about people who see so some psychological uh, attributes that go along with it, but... In your opinion, do people have more of a ghostly experience when it is someone that they love that they've lost? Is it possible that seeing an apparition or getting that feeling or communicating with the, with the departed loved one is actually a part of the grief process?
2: Um, actually, yes. Uh, standard psychologists have been studying what's known as bereavement hallucinations mm-hmm. for decades. Well-known phenomenon, very common, so people that have lost a loved one, whether it's a parent or a spouse, and they get a sense that the person is still around, Um, either maybe they're sent, maybe they hear a voice, maybe Mm -hmm. they actually see the person, or maybe they feel the person is visiting them in their dream and speaking or communicating something important. They need to know that that is entirely normal. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that we have a great understanding of what causes it. Um, Obviously, grief is a potent mental state and there are some neurological changes that occur when people are under great grief or in fact any great mental stress Um, for example it can really disrupt melatonin and serotonin levels in your brain those are neurotransmitters and we know that people that are in the grief stage um, when there are uh, increases in electromagnetic fields either through earth faults being naturally released or solar flares, we see an increase in these reports. Um, And they also tend to be reported during a time of day where the melatonin and serotonin would be most affected. So there does seem to be a neurological basis that's known, although not very well specified, uh, but it's a very, very common experience. What's what's less known um, are when people have these experiences where maybe they don't even realize their loved one has died. And yet a clock will suddenly stop at the time that they died. I've heard about that. And so there's this physical event that coincides with a real known event in a person's life that clearly that's not just psychological. Mm -hmm. And it happens enough that at least it's captured the attention of parapsychologists. And uh, it's not as common um, as the bereavement hallucinations, but it is known and it certainly raises your eyebrows as to what possibly could be going on.
0: So is is it fair to say that the electromagnetic field around the planet and anything that emanates an electromagnetic field could actually disrupt the the workings of our brain to actually increase the possibility of people seeing what they believe to be our paranormal apparitions?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, In fact, probably the most famous Mm -hmm. psychologist... Sadly, he's passed away now, Michael Persinger. Oh, yes. Um, out of Canada, of course.
0: I had Michael on the show a number of years.
2: <laughs> right. You know, he demonstrated yep. in a, using a number of research methods, both mm-hmm. experimentally, as well as looking at historical case reports. And he's had the hypothesis that when our brain is stimulated with certain types of electromagnetic fields, and specifically a portion called the temporal lobe, which is the seat of fantasy and memory. So you can get a lot of confabulation going on. When that stimulation happens, it actually induces the equivalent of little seizures, like an epileptic seizure, but in people without epilepsy and on a smaller scale, much more focused, much more time restricted. And so people are having a micro seizure and, of Mm -hmm. course, all sorts of visions and other types of um, anomalous experiences can happen. You might feel like you're floating in the air, that you uh, have great feelings around death and anxiety for some reason. So we do know that the human brain is mm-hmm. hardwired to have certain types of anomalous experiences.
0: Yeah, you know, talking about Michael Persinger, I had the pleasure of working with Michael on a BBC special called Contact going back to 1998. And, uh, you know, he was uh, very well respected throughout the Canadian uh, Canadian, uh scholastic industry for the great work that he was doing up at Laurentian University. So he is truly sadly missed. Uh, Did you see his football helmet that he would put on uh, different students?
2: Yeah, it was called the God helmet uh, to those people in the field. (laughs) And um, I'll say this about Michael. He was tremendously prolific. He wrote in all sorts of journals. Everyone knew his hypothesis, Mm -hmm. but I will say that his work was controversial. Um, Not everyone could replicate um, his experiments And it seems now that when you look back at what he was doing and you try to use even more sophisticated methods and more sophisticated mathematics with better vetted data, Mm -hmm. we find that actually the whole electromagnetic field hypothesis is probably not as reliable as he was hoping it would be. You know, it's now commonplace on TV when you see the amateur ghost hunters, they walk around with these magnetometers. And whenever there's a disruption in an electromagnetic field, they'll claim that that is physical evidence of a ghost, that the ghost is made of that radiation. And um, unfortunately, the the amateur ghost hunters don't realize the hypothesis worked the other way, that the energy from the electromagnetic fields is what induced an experience of a ghost, not the other way around. But we know now that actually the EMF hypothesis is probably not a great general explanation for ghosts.
0: What is then, Mike? What is then, Jim? You know, for for you know, I've I've been on ghostly walks uh, throughout Canada and the United States, and you're right; they all have their EMF uh, meters, they all have their night vision, and they they now there's the ghost box and and other oh. trinkets that are out there.
2: There's tons of trinkets, and, yeah. and you know, it's easy for people to assume that the amateur ghost hunters they see on TV sort of invented this aspect, mm-hmm. and they didn't. I mean. Parapsychology um, started with also psychical research, and scientists of the day, when you're talking about the turn of the century from the 1800s to the 1900s, they were very interested in questions about life after death and the limits of the human mind, and they were quite adept at applying the latest technologies to these kinds of questions. And so the ghost hunter that we know today with all those fancy gadgets it is over a hundred years old. And, so they didn't invent anything. And they're the gadgets. But we actually just, just published one mm-hmm. of our studies that was published in a very well-known online journal, Open Access. So any of your listeners can go and read this article for themselves. And in fact, it's written in such a way to be understood by lay audiences, people that don't have the technical background, mm-hmm. like, like my global ghost gang would have. We looked at the last 20 years of research on environmental psychology. Hersinger's hypothesis about electromagnetic fields or infrasound, lighting levels. We looked at all these different physical factors in the environment that various people, from parapsychologists to skeptics, have proposed as explanations for why people think they have a haunted house. And what we found after 20 years is that there really is no great research in this area. There are little sprinkles of studies here and there, but they almost never relate to one another. No one actually tries to build on previous work.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But the work that we do have, the research suggests that environmental factors that physicists would know about, environmentalists would know about, are also a poor explanation for ghosts and haunted houses. So that only deepens the mystery. And some of your listeners might say, great. So that just means it must be the paranormal because if it's not EMFs, or anything else that physical scientists know about, well, that only leaves the paranormal. Not at all. Right. Um, What we find to be the best general explanation. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's certain cases where you might find a very unique thing happening, but generally speaking, I would stake the claim that 90% of any case that you give me from a sincere witness has psychology at the base of the explanation known principles in how people's attention is directed, how perceptions are formed, and the labels or attributions people give to experiences they cannot immediately explain. I would venture that explains 90% of all cases, and the cases where we may not have a clear explanation are simply cases we don't have Good enough data to draw a conclusion, but that does mean it's paranormal.
0: a lot of the paranormal uh, investigators that I've had the pleasure of talking to uh, recently are talking about shadow beings, something that you catch at the corner of your eye you, mm-hmm. can you explain that to us or what's your hypothesis on it
2: well it, it, it's interesting you know even from the early days of psychical research, people mm-hmm. have known about weird experiences like that that they, they tend to happen in people's bedrooms and that course that gives rise to the legends of like the succubi and the incubus and all of this kind of thing. And we know that sleep paralysis um, is a a good general explanation for why people might feel assaulted or physically touched by an unknown being. But the shadow uh, creatures, the shadow people, yeah, you know, there's a phenomenon with our vision where a lot of ghosts are seen out of the corner of your eye and it's very fleeting. And um, there's an optical effect where the human eye is actually inducing these little, you want to call them optical illusions. Right. And some people might see uh, what they think is a car or a bike go by, and Mm -hmm. other people see a person. I guess it depends on your context that you're in. Right. Uh, But more or less, generally speaking, it's a known optical phenomenon. Sorry, no spirits required.
0: Is that also because the eye is, uh, you know, it's not flat, it's kind of a... Raised bubble in your head.
2: Well, it is. I mean, the human eye is a remarkable machine, yeah. um, but it has flaws. I mean, we all know about our blind spot. Yep. And yet, the blind spot most people don't realize we don't usually perceive the blind mm-hmm. spot because our brains fill in the part of the picture that's missing based on the environment around. So, Our brains are always giving us, whether it's through our eyes or our ears or other senses, are always feeding us information to try to help us get by in our daily life. If the human brain had a job description, it would say, to make things more certain. And sometimes our brains play little tricks on us, not to try to cause us any harm, but just the opposite, to try to help us function in a way that allows us to go on and do what we need to do without getting overwhelmed with a bunch of stimuli that we don't need for just our normal course of actions.
0: Jim, I've got about uh, 40 seconds before I have to go to the break. Uh, when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about the um, first of all, are we getting any closer to getting any answers? Number one. And number two, is there a connection between. The increase of paranormal activity being reported by people to the number of cell towers and now the new 5G that is out there. Dr. Jim Horan is our guest to this hour, ExoNation, israenet.org, that's I-S-R-A-E-N-E-T dot O-R-G. And uh, we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the x from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, this is Halloween month here in the X-Zone. Ghosts, goblins, things that go bump in the night and all this kind of scary stuff all month long. And don't forget, if you're in the province of Ontario or Quebec, it is mandatory that you wear your face mask in public. And you know what? Social distancing its proving to be right. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. back, everyone. This is Halloween month here in the X-Zone. All month long. Wow. Witches, goblins, things go bump in the night. And like I was saying, I really don't know what's going to happen to Halloween this year with all the COVID stuff that's going on. But whatever it is, I'm sure that each and every one of you will take the proper care, wear a mask. (laughs) Ironic to say that during Halloween. eh? And, uh, of course, social distancing. And if the government says stay put, please stay put. Don't put yourself at risk or anyone else. If you'd like to see what's going on in the X-Zone, visit our website, tv.com On all social media sites, Radio TV, And on Simultv, the X-Zone TV channel is channel number 10. And you can find out all about that at www.Simultv.com. Dr. Jim Horan is our guest, and uh, the website to go to is israenet.org Jim, welcome back. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us tonight.
2: Oh, my pleasure. I love talking about this stuff. It's important.
0: All right, Jim. Are we getting any closer to to finding what is and what isn't here in the paranormal?
2: Well, I study specifically ghost haunting and poltergeists, and the paranormal is much bigger than that. I think in the world of parapsychology, we are getting better mm-hmm. at having more... Rigid experimental testing that might eventually prove that there is something like ESP right or what we call psi. Right, but that's quite different though than the kinds of experiences people report with with ghosts Um, Even if you were to claim that this stuff is ESP or psychokinesis mind over matter on just a large scale Wow, there is a huge gap between showing something experimentally needing statistics Mm -hmm. Versus something that anyone with a pair of eyes can see is happening. So I don't know that parapsychology is getting any closer to a real firm answer, but I think we are getting much closer to what's happening with ghosts. Yes. It's a, in my opinion, based on the data to date, Mm -hmm. it's a psychological phenomenon. When people say they've experienced a ghost, it actually entails a very structured, predictable narrative. It involves a certain set of experiences. Some are subjective, more psychological. Some are more objective, things that they're noticing in the environment, but it's very structured. It unfolds in a certain sequence. And that sequence, that core narrative holds true regardless of the witness's age or their gender. And when that kind of experience happens Mm -hmm. naturally, spontaneously, it looks different than when someone is under a condition of pure imagination or expectation or fraud. So these ghost hunters or people that go on these ghost tours and they have something happen, well, it it very well could seem mysterious, but it is not the same phenomenon as witnesses who are not looking to have a ghost experience with what they report. These are separate things, so don't confuse them. And we also know that certain people have these sensitivities that they're not just having a ghost experience once. These people have things happen to them over time, recurrent experiences, so much so that we've actually coined a phrase called haunted people syndrome. Hmm. And these are people that report all sorts of high strangeness over the course of their lives. And so instead of the house being haunted, the person is haunted.
0: That, that's that's a very interesting uh way of looking at it how much does a person's religious belief or belief in tradition play when it comes to their experiences or their 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 uh, anticipated or made up experiences of with the paranormal
2: um you can see religious belief play a role especially if the experiences have some form of ritual to them so if it's a seance if it's a more religious kind of experience, Mm -hmm. like what people reported at Fatima with the miracle of the sun, um, you can see a person's ideology come into play there. But there's actually a different form of belief known as new age philosophy that seems more correlated with just natural experiences that happen to people outside of a ritual environment or a structured environment. And the difference between ideology related to religion versus new age philosophy is, Mm They're associated with different forms of psychological control. What we call traditional paranormal beliefs, that has more to do with religion, what you're talking about. Those are associated with the kinds of beliefs that maintain control of a society. If an invisible man in the sky is watching what you're doing, that causes people to conform in a way that the police can't cause. Okay? So that maintains social control. But the beliefs that predict if someone has an experience spontaneously outside of a ritual environment, that has more to do with the kinds of psychological needs for personal control. So one's very external, one's very internal. So people that have a need to feel as if they are in control of their environment, those are the people that report experiences spontaneously. People that believe that there are these entities or there's this structure this sentient being that is controlling everybody eventually, or at least watching what you're doing, that's associated with weird experiences that happen in structured settings.
0: Jim, what about the increase in microwave towers, cell towers, and now the new G5 system? Have you noticed any reporting increase with this as the number of, of uh, these towers have gone up throughout the United States?
2: I don't notice an increase in ghost reports, but again, you know, Mm -hmm. 5G is, is new. So we really don't have the data to look at it statistically. Um, when I said earlier that the people that have ghost experiences, they have this hypersensitivity, they're almost superhuman abilities in a way they're just more sensitive to what's happening emotionally to them, chemically, electrically. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if perhaps they have a sensitivity to certain cell towers, if they are in a certain range. However, Um, what I have noticed is that there's more reports of conspiracy theories Mm, related to 5G towers. And this is where maybe you see ghosts mesh with something else called group or gang stalking reports, which actually are very similar to one another, except the label is different. In one case, it's spirits and the supernatural. In another case, it's surveillance, stalking, and satellites. Um, But I noticed that people are suspicious of technologies that they don't have a lot of information about. And so I see more reports about maybe people feeling like they're being watched or that they can be surveilled in a way with this new technology and that the government is doing things yeah. with them.
0: You know, I've got an old expression. Uh, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. So there you go.
2: <laughs> um,
0: how about the electronic voice phenomenon? What is your take on that?
2: You know, that's interesting because you know, again, I shy away from things that are common on these mm-hmm. amateur TV ghost shows. Um, however, I did have my own EVP experience, and this was years ago, like 30 years ago, when EVP wasn't really a popular known thing. And this happened at a house that was not a tourist site. It did not have a widespread reputation right. for being haunted. Mm-hmm. Um I happened to gain access to do a study when I was in college at this house. And at that time, we were using cassette recorders. That shows you how long ago this was. And we were using micro cassette recorders in different parts of this house, uh, as well as with some video cameras. And the owner of the house told me, um, don't mess with any of the stuffed animals in this one room because the ghost of a little girl is there and it upsets her. So, of course, the first thing I do is go yeah. up to that room <laughs> to mess with the stuffed animals, right? Yeah. So I, w- I want to see some ghosts. Uh-huh. I want to see some action, okay? So I thought, great. Now I know how to make something happen. We're going to do it. So we had cameras pointed on the room. We had mm-hmm. the cassette recorders going, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. So we pack up late at night, and we're labeling the tapes where they were and everything, and we're listening to some of them. And the microcassette that was in this little girl's room— it was weird. You, you hear the team that I was with talking and suddenly over our voices, I mean, in other words, our voices didn't just stop. And then mm-hmm. there was something else overlaid on our conversation was this female voice. I can't tell you at an age. I, I can only say it was in the higher register and it was weird what the person was saying, but clearly it was a female voice. And The best that we all could agree on what it was saying was something along the lines of run, Amanda, get, get. Which is interesting because there was some rumors of abuse that happened, child abuse in in that house. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that that shocked me. I wasn't prepared for that. I still have the tape to this day. I always thought I would get it analyzed to see if someone could objectively tell me Mm
1: -hmm.
2: what that voice was saying. But here's the kicker. We also had another video camera in the hallway down from that room that was operating at the same time, and it was there to make sure no one was gonna come up the stairwell. We, we try to control things as much as possible. And it dawned on us about a week later, hey, wait a minute, we had that video camera going at the same time. None of us heard a voice. The time we all were conversing in that room, none of us heard anything. And when we decided that, oh, wait a minute, we should check that other camera. And sure enough, that voice is on that camera too. And that camera was about 12 feet away. The voice isn't as loud, but it's there. So I have no explanation for that. I know I was there. I didn't hear any voice inside or outside the house. Mm -hmm. That was a loud voice. I have it on two tapes, but I don't know how to explain it. Um, But that's different though, I would say, than some of these other reports where people under uncontrolled conditions or where they ask a question and they think they get an answer back, but you have to play the tape backwards or you have to speed it up. There is no, from what I can tell, there is no clear standardized method for getting an EVP effect. Uh, People have different ways. And so that is my first signal that whatever's happening is not a standardized phenomenon. Um, But I know some people that have captured what they say are voices under some very weird circumstances, and it clearly are voices. Um, so I don't know what to make of it. Truly a mystery. It is, but then again, I have also seen one study that showed that when people are in haunted houses, mm-hmm. they sometimes talk to themselves without even realizing it. So maybe some of these EVPs are actually caused by the investigators right. where they're talking in their heads, but actually they're saying it out loud and they don't even realize it. I don't know. Um, It would certainly be the kind of thing where real researchers should conduct controlled experiments but I would not take it as any evidence of the paranormal when you see these EVP effects on TV under conditions you have no idea, let alone captured by people that probably aren't trained to know how to use audio and visual equipment to a professional level.
0: And a lot of these so called investigators have no idea on how to conduct a proper investigation and then collect and classify the evidence that they allegedly find.
2: No, in fact, they seem resistant to yeah. it. And there's good reason why because if you're in a haunted house mm-hmm. and you're bored stiff, that's a good sign you're doing the study correctly. But if you're in a haunted house and you're scaring yourself or you're listening for this and you're running around there, you're doing it incorrectly. Science is boring. It takes time. And when you do controlled experiments, you're not running after every little sound or fleeting glimpse out of the corner of your eye. You're testing hypotheses. So it's a very cold, calculated clinical exercise that bores people. It's not the same as sitting around a campfire and telling ghost stories. So I can see why most people that are engaged with the paranormal, mm-hmm. why they resist science, because it takes in a way the fun and, and enchantment out of it.
0: All right, stand by, Jim. You and I have to take our final break. Extra uh, Dr. Jim Horan is our special guest this hour. This is Halloween month. And if you'd like to find out more about uh, Jim or the website that he is asking us to point people to is israenet.org. That's I S R A E N E T. Dot org. This is the XON. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away. We'll be back on the other side of the short break. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Jim Horan is our special guest this hour. Jim, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. I always like talking to you, and uh, congratulations on the, on the work that you guys are doing.
2: Thank you very much. And, you know, I I don't want people to think that I have this real negative opinion of amateur Mm -hmm. ghost hunters. In fact, I'm an optimist at heart. And next year, we, the ghost gang that I have, we're actually going to be coming out with a book. It's called Ghosted. And it really ties together all the findings that we have published over the past three years. And we tie it together to give our explanation of what we think ghosts are. But we all have a big dose of humility. So what we want is to help um, drive new research in this area, but in a responsible way. And we know that citizen science can be a big part of that. Um, most scientists are not going to spend time in a cemetery or a haunted mansion. They have other things to do, <laughs> and they may not see that as a credible, reputable way to spend their their evenings or the use of their scientific equipment. So we know that actually amateur investigators are a lot like other amateur scientists that we see in astronomy or Mm -hmm. bird watching. And if amateur ghost hunters can be taught good systems of sciences and the kinds of ways you do hypothesis testing, we hope that they'll pick up that, that mantle, that they'll pick it up and run with it. So, uh, the book is going to be written basically for them and hopefully it will inspire them to do good research rather than just try to live out a fantasy.
0: Are there any demographics that you and your group have been able to uh, to amass when it comes to those who experience paranormal activity, uh, ghost hauntings? You know, your, your area of expertise, Jim.
2: Well, actually, besides trying to get the imagination of, again, these, these, these amateur ghost hunters mm-hmm. who have a lot of motivation and energy, and actually they have a lot of experience of, of being in the field much more so than most parapsychologists so they certainly have a lot to bring to the table but as we've been publishing i've noticed that we've received a lot of great support from scientists that are in the physical sciences, chemists environmentalists uh, physicists as well as people in the clinical sciences of course people in the clinical world they're used to dealing with people that see and hear things that other people don't Mm -hmm. and they know that sometimes that the conditions under which these things happen don't mean that they're crazy this isn't psychosis uh in fact mental illness is a is a lot like electromagnetic fields it's a very poor general explanation for experiences that people have so i think that the scientific community is hungry for good research because they themselves have probably either had an experience or they know someone that has and they've always had their interest peak, but they never knew where to turn for good information. And now we're giving it.
0: Jim, is it possible that ghosts are really there, but we are using today's technology on, on some sort of plane where we don't have the equipment to actually prove that there are ghosts and that there is a way for those who have crossed over to communicate with those on this side of the veil?
2: I don't buy that for a minute. Uh, Only because when you look at some of the more dramatic cases that Mm -hmm. we have in parapsychology and psychical research, like poltergeists, you have pots and and, uh, pans flying around, okay? Fires sometimes start. People get scratches on their skin. Um, With ghost experiences, Mm -hmm. you think that that's something that just one person sees. Well, we have many cases where groups of people are seeing an apparition Um, you have cases like seances or we call sitter groups people that want something to happen right um, and they're trying to direct psychokinesis to happen where you have physical apparently physical manifestations occurring that physics should predict don't happen so i'm sorry on one hand you can't say wow, we don't have the technology to detect whatever's going on. And on the other hand, you have these dramatic experiences that you don't need to be Dr. Phil. You don't need to be Sherlock Holmes. I can see the pan flying across the room. So these things happen. They happen in ways that we can document, and they happen in very predictable ways. Uh, So, no, I don't think that we're dealing with some supernatural Energies or forces that only certain people can detect that just doesn't make sense to me
0: So, how do we explain the fly, uh, the flying frying pan?
2: Well, when people experience poltergeist kinds of activity Usually you're talking about very dramatic physical events that happen mm-hmm. quickly when they're not expecting it in fact when you bring investigators in that know what supposedly is going to happen suddenly the events stop. Hmm. So there's almost like this cat and mouse game. We know that a good portion of poltergeist cases involve fraud. Now that's not always for money. Sometimes these are young children that are just trying to get attention or they like the feeling of trying to play a trick on an adult and freak them out. That happens a great number of times. Other times physical events can happen that are just freak events um, that we don't always know why something happens, but it happens to us all the time. How many times would you say that sometimes you thought you let your keys in one spot and you find them somewhere that you just don't remember them being
0: many or times
2: could have, you could have sworn that yeah. important piece of paper was on your desk and now yeah. it's nowhere to be found. Or maybe you hear a sound, uh, upstairs or downstairs, or maybe you even hear a voice or what you think, Is somebody in your house, maybe even a loved one that you thought, oh, this person's home early from work, Mm -hmm. and yet they're not there. There are weird events like this that happen all the time, and most of the time we just ignore it. Um, But if you look into freak events, there's usually a physical cause, a known physical cause. So there are many reasons or many explanations for why a pot or a pan could fly or people think that they see something move or disappear. So I don't think we're dealing right now with psychic forces. I could be proven wrong. Parapsychology could show that psychokinesis really exists. And I'd be the first one to say, I'm wrong. And isn't that cool that we have PK? I think it's more likely that if it's not just psychology, that what we experience as haunted houses is probably due to errors in a computer program, the software or the hardware that's running this simulation that we're all trapped in. you know, mainstream scientists think there's a good probability that everything we experience as real is really a computer simulation. Hologram. The simulation hypothesis, yeah. the matrix. Yeah. Well, no program is perfect. And maybe what people report as the paranormal are just glitches in the hardware or the software that's running the program. I think that's more likely than psychic forces.
0: Quickly, uh, we've got about six minutes left. Um, what, there seems to be an an increase in paranormal investigators that are seem to be drifting away from ghosts and putting the onus of all this activity on demonic activity. Is this just because it's a, a change of the time, something new, or could there be something to it?
2: Well, there certainly are events, cases that we know about that are, they're not just creepy. They give you the hint that something evil is mm-hmm. going on, um, where people actually feel, Persecuted, stalked, harassed, uh, cursed—even it's—it's pretty logical if you come from the worldview of religion or a previous paranormal belief to interpret things that happen near you as being relevant, um, and that somehow you must be special. Um, we know that themes of death, of mm-hmm. religiosity. Uh, Of mystical beings that's also part of the whole temporal lobe so if cases involve electromagnetic field activity you're also going to get themes related to death and anxiety and sometimes the entities people see reflect the entities they've learned about in their upbringing devils demons elves fairies right Um, some people see aliens Mm -hmm. so the type of apparition or the entity the way that it's interpreted seems to be pretty much a product of the context that you're in. But I'm not surprised that people are seeing more demons because besides the Ghost Hunter shows, you had a few movies now devoted to Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were self-proclaimed demonologists. And they themselves portrayed this stuff as demonic activity. Well, they put that into the mainstream consciousness. Hollywood amplified it. So now people are getting back what they were fed. If this was 1985, instead of demons, people would be harping on the aliens.
0: Yep. Speaking about that, can the same conditions that we've been talking about, uh, psychological conditions, when it comes to ghosts and uh, the other aspects of the paranormal that you specialize, Jim, can these these also be used when it comes to other aspects of the paranormal? For example, aliens, Bigfoot, and all the other mysteries that are out there.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, In fact... uh, the core narrative of hauntings, um, we call it the encounter experience or entity encounter experience. Um, the type of entity changes depending on the historic era or the socio-cultural context. Some people see angels, mm. demons, gods, muses, um, aliens, trolls, elves, what have you. Uh, but we know that the core experience, regardless of the label someone gives it, it unfolds the same way. There's a core narrative. I mean that literally, a narrative that people experience, act out, and describe. But the actors, the attribution that they give to it changes depending on the context. So yes, absolutely. When people say they've seen an alien Mm -hmm. or a ghost or they've encountered a troll or they saw an angel or the Virgin Mary appeared to them, they're basically describing the same core narrative, just under a different label.
0: You know, it's funny because here we are in this modern day of technology with everyone who has a cell phone has a high-definition camera. And uh, yet, all these ghost hunters, all these UFO investigators, all these Sasquatch hunters, you still have no no photos. Does that that, uh, kind of say to you that, yeah, we're right, you guys... You're wrong.
2: (laughs) Well, there there are some photos that look pretty good, but they're probably fake. Um, I've yet to see a real clear Bigfoot photo. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, you would think with how readily accessible good technology is, of all sorts, recording devices, that if something happens, especially to the amateur ghost hunters, they're going to be prepared to collect a lot of great evidence. I haven't seen it yet, but that very well could be because that they're just not trained on how to use the equipment, when... Um, how to control for artifacts. That's where people are trained in science and technology. This is not something that you just look on YouTube. You don't pick it up from the Khan Academy. (laughs) You have to go through and get professional training and studies, and I know that that's boring. It takes time, but if people are truly interested in Mm -hmm. understanding the reality, the scientific reality to things like ghosts, hauntings, and poltergeists, You want to get educated. You don't want to get spooked.
0: Jim, uh, where can people find the books that you write and uh, where can they learn more about you and the great work you do?
2: Well, you can Google James Horan ghost or haunting or go to Amazon and you can see a few books. And the one that we're producing now should be out next year. So I'll be sure to let you know.
0: Thank you very much, Jim. Take care of yourself. Be safe. And uh, gosh, my friend, keep up the great work. It's really nice talking to you.
2: Happy Halloween.
0: And the same to you, Jim. Once again, Exo Nation. if you'd like to find out more about uh, James, he's asking us to put you towards this website, israelnet.org, and just Google him. He's all over the place, and his books are available on Amazon.com. Well, let me see, coming up next, another group of ghost people. We're going to be talking about how they conduct their investigation, the, the connection between ghosts and history. And why do people hang around graveyards waiting to see ghosts? I always thought if you want to see a ghost, you should actually go to the place where the person died, if in fact. And as you know, ExoNation, I'm a skeptic. I want to believe, but I want to see the proof. And I'm not talking about the stuff that we see on the Internet. James Hearn great guy we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the x-zone from our broadcast center in niagara ontario canada and don't forget keep your mask on and social distancing is in effect we'll be back